I've never seen you doing your plow posture and things, said William, but you certainly don't look like a dinosaur most of the time. Thank you, William, said his mother, accepting this dubiously worded testimony. I bet you can't stand on your head anyway, father, piped up Rosie. No use at all, said Grandpa loudly. Worse than useless. <laughs> Rubbish, snapped Mr. Bagthorpe. Just wait while I swallow this mouthful. He got up from the table. What are you going to do, cried Mrs. Bagthorpe. You're not going to stand on your head now in the middle of a meal. And make sure he sees me do it, Mr. Bagthorpe indicated Grandpa. But he was talking about hearing aids, began his wife, but too late. Mr. Bagthorpe was already crouched in preparation. Stop him, mother, she implored. Henry has always gone his own way, said Grandma, imperturbably. She was, after all, Mr. Bagthorpe's mother, and should know. And he has always been a show-off. Mr. Bagthorpe was halfway up when he heard his own mother so slander him. Everyone watched, fascinated, as he swayed up there, uncertain whether to carry on and complete the headstand, or to surface and answer back. Gravity decided the matter. Mr. Bagthorpe could not, unless he had been doing it secretly in his study, have stood on his head since he was a schoolboy, and it showed. His descent was not graceful. He crashed down, and as his legs skewed round, one of his shoes caught a Dresden piece on the dresser. A chair also went over. Everyone present, except Grandpa and William, shrieked. Grandpa was still making loud observations about hearing aids, and William was helpless with laughter. Mrs. Fosdyke shrieked louder than anyone and darted vainly forward to try to feel the Dresden piece before it hit the tiles. The crash took place under her very nose. "'Oh, no, no, not me Dresden!' she lamented. It was this kind of scene that made her persistently refuse to live in at the Bagthorpes. The reason she always gave for this was that she had her unmarried son to cook for. The real reason, as she told her friends, was that certainly Mr. Bagthorpe and Grandma, and possibly more of the family, were mad, and that the continual goings-on would be more than flesh and blood could stand. She felt it would shorten her life. She later gave a graphic picture of Mr. Bagthorpe's yogic exhibition to her cronies in the fiddler's arms. "'With a brain like his,' she opined, "'you can't afford to have the blood rushing to your head. It unhinged him, of course, and down he comes. Crash!' on me Dresden floral, and that's that. Broke his arm as well, and I wish no harm to anyone, I'm sure, but it served him right. The confusion that followed Mr. Bagthorpe's collapse was certainly exceeding. Jack actually bawled above the din. I see a lavender man bearing tidings! But he might as well have been reciting the two times table. Everybody else was bawling, too. Grandma was wailing. Son! Son! "'Speak! Speak!' like someone out of the Old Testament. Rosie jumped up and down, yelling, "'I knew he couldn't do it! I knew he couldn't do it!' until Tess administered a sharp slap and set her off howling instead. Mrs. Bagthorpe, with creditable concern, all things considered, rushed forward and pushed Grandma aside. "'Henry, are you hurt?' "'My arm! My arm!' bellowed Mr. Bagthorpe above the din. "'Ow! Ow!' as his wife tried to raise him, and then, in tones of epic despair, "'My writing arm! My God, it's my writing arm!' <laughs> William was sent to telephone the doctor. Mr. Bagthorpe, 
supporting his right arm with his left, was led into the sitting-room, and made comfortable with cushions, or as comfortable as he would admit to being. Even then the tumult did not abate, because in true Bagthorpe tradition a post-mortem inquiry into the incident was instantly set up, and everybody started arguing about whose fault it had all been. Jack blamed Mr. Bagthorpe himself for starting the whole thing off with his rude remarks about dinosaurs. Tess blamed Rosie for daring him, and William for laughing at him just when he was at his most precarious. Grandma gr blamed Grandpa for making one of his loud remarks off cue, and it seemed as if it was going to be one of those rare occasions when it was not all finally pinned onto Zero. Zero had been left upstairs. Jack had given him the job of guarding the pile of comics, in which the plan of campaign was concealed, in the hope that this would give him a sense of responsibility and increase his self-respect. Jack looked at his watch. It was already after five, and time was short. The furor so showed no sign of dying down, and would doubtless redouble when the doctor arrived, and each Bagthorpe made his or her own diagnosis. The only person in the room who could actually be pinned down, Jack decided, was the patient himself, who was at least sitting. He had gone quiet now, except for the occasional groan because for the time being he had an inattentive audience on which any serious performance would be wasted. It was hard on him, Jack realized, to have to receive two mysterious impressions so close together, particularly on top of his injured writing arm. But there seemed no choice. He advanced and stood in front of Mr. Bagthorpe's chair, waiting to be noticed. At last his father's eyes traveled up and met his. "'What are you hanging about there for?' demanded Mr. Bagthorpe. "'Where's that doctor got to? This could be the end of the road for me. I'm sunk without my right arm.' Jack really had to harden himself to carry through the maneuver. Slowly he moved his gaze to just behind Mr. Bagthorpe's ear, and visualized turkey with all the trimmings, which he obviously would not get in the foreseeable future, but there was no harm in imagining. The effect was gratifyingly dramatic. "'Quick!' "'Help! He's doing it again!' yelled Mr. Bagthorpe. He yelled so loud, he even got heard, and everyone looked round. "'Quick! Laura, look! It's horrible! I told you, look! He's doing it again!' <clears throat> Mrs. Bagthorpe rushed over, and the others, interested, crowded round. "'Get behind me, Laura, quick!' commanded Mr. Bagthorpe, "'and just look where he's got his eyes fixed!' Jack did not feel he could sustain his performance much longer. He had only begun his acting career that morning, and the size of the present audience was daunting. Just as Mrs. Bagthorpe crouched behind her husband's chair to take a bearing on the line of Jack's gaze, he said, quite distinctly and slowly, I see a lavender man bearing tidings. The hush that now fell was total. He sees what? hissed Grandma at last, poking Tess. "'What's that about lavender bags?' "'He says he sees a lavender man bearing tidings, Grandma,' Tess whispered back. "'Oh!' Jack repeated the words. He then stepped back and passed a hand over his eyes and murmured, "'Where am I?' once or twice, just to round the whole thing off. It was Mr. Bagthorpe who broke the silence. "'When that doctor does come,' he said, Get him seen to first. My arm can wait. Poor old chap. Completely bananas. He'll end up in a straitjacket. 
Someone will have to come with me to get it fitted, said Grandpa loudly in the ensuing silence.